Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking with herbalist Megan Rhodes. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Megan Rhodes is a qualified herbalist who has helped over 80 people start living herbalism, making healthier, safer solutions for themselves and their families a reality. As the founder of Rhodes Roots and Remedies, she has written 10 course books, authored the book Easy Herbal Remedies for Infants, and developed a unique four-season sense-based herbalism course and journey. Awaken Herbal Wisdom. Megan's practice of herbalism is rooted in the belief that we must remember, reclaim, and relearn our knowledge of our bodies, our autonomy, and how to work with plant medicine in order to bring control of our own health back into our families and homes for a sustainable future for ourselves and the planet. Megan is a member of both the College of Practitioners of Phytotherapy, and the Ayurvedic Professionals Association. Hello and welcome, Megan. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me on the pod today. It's nice to have you. You too. I'm always happy to chat with another herbalist. Yes, me too. So uh, where are you located? Well, you can't tell by my accent, but I'm actually in uh, northern England uh, in a part of the country called Yorkshire, which is very, very scenic. Uh, and we are in a little village uh, in the middle of nowhere in Yorkshire on a small holding. Uh, and it's sort of, I think, maybe 100 people in our village. So really quite small and cozy. Yeah. Oh, wow. So what's what how why wouldn't I know by your accent? <laughs> uh, Maybe as someone from, in. <laughs> I know, sorry, I'm originally from Florida. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. Yeah, I grew up like not too far from Disney. And uh, and here I am in the middle of nowhere, England. So never, ever would have predicted that growing up. But uh, it's my home now. Oh, well, see, you had me fooled because I, I hear a 
British accent to me. So. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it must have worn off. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So how did you land um, where you are from Florida? Well, I, when I was at uh, uni in the States, I did, you know, my term studying abroad. And then I decided after undergrad that I would do a master's and ended up coming to the UK for that and then just stayed and had a whole career and everything. And not too long into that, realized that the corporate world was not what I wanted to do. Uh, and started retraining and qualifying as a, a clinical herbalist. So it's been a, a winding journey, but I met my husband over here, and he's from here originally. So here is where home is. Nice. Well, I know that they have, or I assume anyway, that they have uh, different kind of educational process and standards in England than they do here. Yes, yeah. So I did um, I did a four year uh, herbal medicine practitioner qualification course. The first two years were sort of community herbalism faced, and then the second two were the the clinical ones with all the five hundred clinic hours and the final project and the papers and the anatomy and physiology and and all of that. So it's quite quite thorough. Yeah. Mm hmm. So what um, what kind of inspired you to to go that route into herbal education or herbal medicine? Yeah, well, I had um, as I think you know many herbalists. I had had my own challenges with my health growing up. I'd always had gut issues, and I didn't really know that that wasn't what your body is supposed to do if it's in balance. Until when I was doing my undergrad, my roommate had celiacs and we started chatting and I went, oh, like that light bulb moment, wait a minute, which led me down um, a path of, of trying to figure out how to support my own health, which I think happens to a lot of young people that, you know, you, you've left the house, you're supposedly an adult, um, and you get into, into uni in the real world and you realize, ooh, I need to, I need to take care of myself now. Um, so once I, uh, once I got to the UK, um, my gut stuff really sort of peaked and I really had to, to take it very seriously. Um, and that's when I started looking for quote unquote natural practitioners. I didn't even know the word herbalist. I didn't know what I was looking for. I just knew what it would feel like. I knew that it would be whole plants and there would be no chemicals and it would be holistic and looking at the root cause of things. So, um, the first time I went to a herbalist, I was actually at a naturopath, and I didn't realize. And the second time I thought I was going to a herbalist, I was at a homeopath, <laughs> uh, which is, of course, a different, a different um, whole other education and, and practice. Uh, and then I was searching online, and I came across a Four Seasons workshop at a farm in southern UK that was on herbal medicine. 
And I went, oh, herbal medicine. Ah, and I was reading the description. Whole plants, no chemicals, holistic root cause. And I was like, ooh, yes, you know, this is what I'm looking for. So I signed on. Uh, and then I spoke to my husband's cousin, who I hadn't quite understood when I first met her that she was actually a qualified clinical herbalist. <laughs> so all these little signs in my life, you know. And I was chatting to her. She said, oh, that sounds like an interesting course. Do you know who's teaching it? And I said, oh, no, let me check. And so I looked up the, you know, the confirmation, booking confirmation. It said Annie McIntyre. And my cousin said, do you realize she's one of the most well-known herbalists there is and I went oh no it just sounded like a nice course so I was extremely fortunate to start my herbal education with Annie and then I carried on for quite a few years of an apprenticeship with her in a small group of other students and practitioners learning the crossroads of Ayurveda and western herbal medicine whilst I started doing my my formal qualification uh, with Nikki Darrell. So those two women were huge influences in my herbal journey and how I learned herbal medicine, what that means, and how I now um, share and teach herbal medicine with others. Wow, that's that's awesome. That's mm. so great how that and what wonderful teachers. Mm -hmm. to have that's so great so so then um going back to your gut issues if you don't mind me asking mm -hmm. um because i i would think people might be curious did um did you end up like you know healing yourself with herbs or working through that issue with herbs or did you actually see a specific um herbalist and kind of was it celiacs or something else and what was kind of the process in just that specific part of your journey mm. so I um I got diagnosed sort of semi-dubiously I would say not with any malintent but just not with thorough process by an allopathic doctor in the States during uni. So I sort of went in and described my symptoms and he said, oh, you've got celiacs. I'll just, you know, make a note so that you can get out of the mandatory uni cafeteria meal plan. <laughs> and I was like, great, thanks, because that's the, I didn't want to be on the meal plan. Um, so I lived in the box of that diagnosis for about a decade, I studied and lived in Paris, never touching a croissant or a baguette in the box of that diagnosis. It was now looking back and I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I later went on a trip to Italy and uh, made up for that. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I had this diagnosis and my life in the kitchen and you know food is such a social thing eating is such a social thing and my life just got smaller and smaller and smaller and I kept you know gluten went away immediately cold turkey that was it but I still didn't feel better I still had all the same symptoms or as I like to call them messages from the body my body was still saying something's not right here um 
so I took more and more things out of my diet and I still wasn't feeling good. And then I got really poorly when I was in my corporate job um, and I was just exhausted. And my manager uh, very fortunately said to me, I don't know what's going on with you, but you need to go home and you need to get help. That's when I started looking at those other practitioners because mm-hmm. I had already been to all the different doctors. I had all the tests including one, interestingly, who did a blood test and said, you don't actually have celiacs, which completely blew my mind because I was like, if I don't have celiacs, then what is wrong with me? Mm. But everybody said, you're fine, go home. You're fine, go home. And this is sort of one of my personal bugbears that, and I, you know, a lot of my students have come to herbal medicine because they want to work through something for themselves. And they've been told the same thing. You're fine, go home. Take a paracetamol, go home. Oh, you know, just don't eat that or whatever. Go home, you're fine. And people know in their bodies, this is not right. This doesn't feel good. I'm not getting better. So um, once I found out about herbal medicine itself, I started, um, I did work with... um, Annie directly for a while uh, on um, some, because I didn't have the skill and the knowledge yet to put together a herbal remedy for myself. So I was working with her for a bit there. And then as my studies progressed, I started working on blends for myself. Um, And interestingly, the homeopath I went to said something which I still pass on to people because it was a bit of a paradigm shift. She looked at all my test results as well, and she said, okay, yes, all these tests say you're fine, go home, quote-unquote. She said, so look at it this way. There's actually nothing you can't eat. What you don't have is freedom around what you're eating. And I was like, what? (laughs) And she said... Go to the grocery store, stand in front of the wall of the actual food, not all the stuff in the middle, and just listen to your body. Just be still and quiet, and your gut will tell you what to eat. Buy that food, take it home, cook it, and eat it. And she said, do that at restaurants, too. And I said, what? I could go to a restaurant and look at a menu and actually have food off the menu? Because I was so, it was, I know a lot of people get in this position. You go out to eat socially, you've got gut stuff going on, you look at the menu, there is literally one thing you can have with five, you feel a bit embarrassed and annoying modifications that you have to specify to the kitchen and hope they get right. It's nothing you particularly fancy eating, and it's likely usually the most expensive thing on the menu, because it's usually the fish dish, let's be honest. (laughs) Although I love fish, but it's usually like the sea bass or something, and you're sat there going, everybody else gets their, you know, 10 pound whatever, and mine costs double. And then, of course, everybody goes, oh, let's share. And you're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So going to a restaurant and looking at a menu and just listening to my gut, going into the grocery store, listening to my gut was huge, huge change for me and really got me tuned into my body, 
on a whole other level. So then when I started training in herbal medicine and meeting the plants, I was in that space. I wanted to feel the plants directly. I wanted to taste them. I wanted to know what they were precipitating in my body so that I could understand when I'd be stood in front of a garden patch or a, you know, my home apothecary or whatever, and my body could say, I want this today. This is the support I need right now. Or don't need this anymore, let's change to that. So that's informed a lot of my journey. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely started out with help and I think a lot of people do. And then as you learn more, you get a bit bit more courageous or a bit more naive. I'm not sure which, <laughs> sure which and you go, I might try this for myself. I might mix that. Oh, that felt good. Hmm. And then you start writing down blends. Uh, hmm. That's, I love that story. That is so beautiful. There are so many gems of wisdom in that story. Thank you so much for sharing that because I really do see so often people get boxed in with these food, um, you know, issues or, you know, food rules and laws that they feel like they have to live by. <clears throat> and in some ways, it just creates more stress. Mm hmm in in their life and in eating and then that kind of binds the the gut that much more mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. it's it is really important just to stay on the outside uh walls as you say of the grocery store of the main grocery stores because that's where all the whole food mm -hmm. resides versus the processed food all mm -hmm. on the inside of the store Mm, the edible food-like substances, as Michael Pollan calls them, which I think is <laughs> a perfect, perfect phrase to sum it up. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, that kind of is a great segue as you were talking about the taste of plants and how that really started to lure you into the realm of herbalism and help inform you um, as to which plants to go connect with mm. um i was wondering if you and i know taste is important to you in your teachings of herbalism i wondered if you could kind of delve into that path a little bit with us sure so taste is one of those things that's really tangible my um my first herb that I properly tasted fresh and, and did it in a, a learning herbalism context, you know, rather than just in the kitchen, was on that seasonal workshop in the spring. And I'll never forget, it was on this farm and we did this little farm walk and we went through this gate and next to the gate, there was this massive burdock plant. <laughs> And we were all told, okay, go ahead, everybody grab a piece of a leaf. You don't need too much. <laughs> and of course, I'm very high pitta and I've got a lot of fire in my constitution. So, you know, the desire to go for it. <laughs> so I took this massive handful of this burdock, fresh burdock leaf. And we all, you know, start eating it at the same time. And it's hysterical. You, you know, you see the process. Everybody's kind of stood there. You're chewing. And then you see this look. Just go, Everybody's face just changes. Whoosh. 
<laughs> oh, it is so bitter. <laughs> and it's not even, you know, Andrew Graf is the king of bitters. It's just very, very bitter. Um, and you feel that in your body. And that taste never leaves. I mean, you know, your tongue knows that taste. Um, and what I find fascinating is every time you taste a herb, there are different herbal actions that are linked to those tastes. But the fascinating thing is you don't need to know that at the top of your mind. You do if you want to create a herbal remedy or you're thinking, I, I'd like to work on something specific right now. Which herbs am I going to combine for this? But your body never lost that knowledge. Your mother's body, your grandmother's body, all the way back to the earliest humans who were walking around going, you eat it. No, you eat it. <laughs> um, we've never lost that knowledge. It's baked into our bodies. It's baked into our bones. So you eat a bitter herb that's getting the bile going, getting the digestion going, the liver is gearing up ready to process what's coming, and then depending on what type of bitter, you're going all the way through the digestive system and you've got a laxative effect at the end. Someone asked me once, um, you know, do you need to, do you think in order for herbs to work that somebody needs to not believe in herbal medicine, but sort of like agree with it? And I said, look, you take a bitter laxative herb, it's going to have that effect on you whether you believe in it or not, <laughs> whether, you, whether you know that's what it's doing or not. You know, if you take, um, I don't know, if you have a big helping of senna or even, da you know, dandelion root, you're going to get a clear out whether you want it or not. <laughs> yeah, it's not a placebo. <laughs> it's not a placebo. Yeah. Um, so I find then that taste is a great entry point for people who are learning herbal medicine because it's so easy and it's so tempting myself included you know ooh, all the gorgeous books and you can get the books and you can sit there and you can get your special notebook and you can take all your notes and do all this brain stuff right you could read every single pre-existing monograph that exists on burdock till the end of time but you won't really know burdock until you know the taste of it. And then you don't need all those books. They're great as a reference. You want to cross-check something or, or what have you, but you taste it and you know. So you get to know a plant more deeply, each individual plant. But it also means you've got access to understanding the medicinal benefits of more plants more quickly. So for example, the aromatic pungent taste, all the, the, the herbs that we know of as aromatic, they tend to be the culinary herbs and spices, you know, the rosemary, the thyme, the oregano. Um, we know they've got that fragrance we know, mmm, you, you smell them and you put them in your cooking and we know that they're warming. But they're also antimicrobial. That aromatic pungent taste 
lets your body know, okay, we've got compounds in these herbs that are coming that are all the antis, antimicrobial, antibacterial, antifungal, uh, antiviral, antiseptic, all that. I like to think of them as a bunch of antis who all hang out together and, I don't know, <laughs> I love knit that, one massive blanket. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> While chatting. of protection. Love yes, <laughs> over herbal tea, obviously. Um, so they've got those properties your body is receiving that and knows what to do with that without you knowing it. So you don't have to memorize 50 different antimicrobial herbs. You could find a list somewhere on the internet, I'm sure, of 50 antimicrobial herbs. Or you could learn the aromatic pungent taste, get familiar with that taste, and then any time you taste a herb, that obviously you know what the plant is, don't put anything in your mouth that you don't know what it is and that you know it's safe to ingest, of course. You taste that plant, even if it's one you're not overly familiar with, and you get that aromatic, pungent taste, you get the, the smell and your mouth just fills with flavor. You know this is an antimicrobial herb. So you might not have your favorite antiviral blend uh, you know, at home when something, you know, it's cold and flu, you know, whatever it is, is back to school and everybody's coming down with everything. The seasons are changing, Vata's increasing. You might not have your favorite mix to hand, but you could go, oh, okay, well, I've got a couple of pots of herbs that I grow, or I've got my little herb patch, or even, I mean, even more universal, I've got my spice cabinet in my kitchen and I've got rosemary in here. Great, rosemary, pungent, aromatic. We can work with that to help shift this cold, to let this infection know. Thank you very much for visiting us. You can now be on your way. <laughs> you don't need to hang around. And similarly, when it's times of year when lots of stuff's coming around, great more aromatic pungent herbs on you know breakfast lunch and dinner put them in everything drink them as tea put them in your food um you know you can you can you know if you, it's winter and you've got a, a wood burning stove you can chuck a bit of rosemary in there while your house will smell amazing you know get all of that stuff going to get the microbes in the air before they they get into you without having to sit there and go, right now, this constituent and this compound, and if I look at the molecular structure of rosemary under, you know, under magnifying, just taste it, and you know, and you've got access, you can swap things out more easily, it's like cooking, oh, I haven't got any rosemary today, but I've got some thyme, yeah, that'll work in the stew, chuck it in. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more accessible, and your body knows what to do with it. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. I have to go back to um, the burdock for a second and mm -hmm. share my burdock experiences. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had, a, we were, it was, um, you know, it was kind of when the kale chips were popular. So you'd like mm -hmm. bake leaves of things and make them all crispy and eat them oh no and my friend was like oh well you can do that with burdock oh, i was no. like okay <laughs> so i harvested all that they were like small baby burdock leaves and like i mm -hmm. you know 
put them in the oven and toasted them up. I think I also had some kale mixed in. And I just remember like <laughs> all excited to eat my baby burdock chip. And I was oh, like, no. it was the most horrific. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Just like you said. And so now when I'm on herb walks and introducing people to burdock, I'll be like, all you have to do is like, just like rub the leaf with your fingers and then mm-hmm. just like taste your finger. And even that is like so bitter. It's amazing. But I mm-hmm. do love, I love burdock so much. And mm-hmm. But the root I find to be actually quite sweet and nutty. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. which is interesting. You know, different parts of the plant can have different flavors as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, oh yeah, that's something you'll never forget that first shock of bitter burdock leaf taste mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and then every season those of us who'd been on the previous season would just kind of stand there and let right. <laughs> I did this in the spring you go ahead oh don't take a big bit <laughs> so now I do that to my students the but um it'll 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 change as my own um apothecary garden evolves but um I'm currently teaching at at some gardens and they're refurbishing their physic garden. But the one thing that's always growing is wormwood. Mm. <laughs> so everybody starts with wormwood. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, that taste is bitter. And that's a specific <laughs> version of bitter, which is linked to the compound thujone, which is specifically antiparasitic. So you know if you ever taste that. You know, or if you have parasites, that's the taste you want. Go get that taste. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I also love, um, I don't know, do you have sumac where you are? Like the staghorn sumac or the red sumac with the red berries? Yeah, no, no, we we don't have that um, where I am, but I know I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. So I love also on the herb blocks being like, just all you have to do is like touch the for the staghorn staghorn sumac just touch the berries and then taste your finger and it's like super super sour Mm -hmm. like citricy citric acid and Mm -hmm. like oh that's vitamin c Mm -hmm. (laughs) right there you know exactly yeah um yeah the sour taste is a really fascinating one isn't it it often comes through with um with berries um and, you know, nowadays we're so used to, I can just go to the shop and get any berry any time of the year. But really, berries are some parts of summer, you know, it's it's got to get nice and warm. And then into, you know, autumn because um, the plant has to flower and then berry. And that is then carrying you know, to, for the plant to reproduce and to carry on and spread itself. So the context of having the whole berry as opposed to juicing, you know, you compare how many berries you'd eat juiced versus if you were to sit and eat a berry or, you know, a, a piece of fruit um, itself. And I think that's a really nice parallel and reminder for the sour herbs you know, you don't need lots in a mix. And some of them, you know, like schizandra, some people, myself included, find schizandra very tasty and very invigorating. Oh, yes, I could drink tons of this. <laughs> but you don't need to. 
you don't need to. And nature gives us that balance, that nudge, that, okay, when is the season for this? We don't need to have it all year. Unless, you know, you're working on something very specific that you're supporting yourself getting into balance over the long term. But there is a season, there is a time. You know, the the really cold tastes like the salty taste brilliant in the spring when we're starting to get warm again but you know in the in the depths of winter are you reaching for cleavers they're not up you can't you know we need to be grounding nourishing building in that time and then as we turn into spring that's when the salty taste which is full of minerals and paired with that it's like minerals and water it's that when you taste the salty taste it's like green or like spinach and you go oh, this tastes like it's really good for me mm. so you get the minerals but then you get the the flushing through the movement as well whereas in winter it's more of a time to of stillness of resting than of that getting things going so what what would you consider some really good um, like winter tonic herbs? Mm, the roots, the root herbs, because um, that's that's the time of year. You know, you harvest the the roots in autumn and they're ready for winter. Um, it depends on stage of life and and constitution. But uh, I mean, I love ashwagandha. Um, withania somnifera is really nourishing and grounding. Um, licorice is really grounding, although it's got a lot of sweet. Very, I mean, the the sweet taste is the one that lets the body know nourishment is coming, mm. and it tends to be more more of a neutral, earthy sort of root veg type taste. But when you get it in licorice form, you really get the sweetness. So you don't need lots and lots and lots of licorice. Licorice is that that note that you add in, mm. and again, the plant will tell you because licorice, you know, that sweetness licorice in high quantities is a medic you know you have that much sweetness your body goes okay <laughs> i guess you want to i guess you want to clear out then because this is too much and out it clears um yeah and i do you know i know they're not um quote-unquote medicinal herbs but the root veg you know, the the sweet potatoes and the potatoes and the parsnips and, you know, parsnips, you get that lovely sweetness with carrots, all of the, that root veg stew. There's amazing medicine in that. Um, and they, because they're quite earthy, then you add in those nice aromatic pungent herbs to keep the keep the digestive fire going, keep the warmth in. So you've got your root veg stew. Um, if you know if the family's feeling quite weak and you want to give them a little bit of extra oomph, you might sprinkle in a bit of ashwagandha powder into the stew. I do that sometimes. I'm like, oh, I'll just put some ashwagandha in here. I'll put a bit of this in here, and then add in your rosemary and your sage. 
bit of ginger. So it's blending those tastes. It's, I was just chatting to my students before we started chatting actually um, about blending formulas. And I said, look, in, instead of thinking of it in a, I've got a, you know, this plant and this plant and this action and this action and this quantity and this quantity, which of course consider those things and write things down. But your first port of call is like you're making a stew. Mm. It's like you're cooking. What taste do you want to come through? Does this person need support with the bitter taste? Does their digestion need getting going? Do they need help shifting, shifting, um, you know, toxins and waste products through that are getting stagnant? Do they need, you know, do the, the exits need unblocking so that things can leave the body? <laughs> um, you know, but we don't want to cool that person down too much. So do we want to give them a bit of warmth as well? So, you, I mean, even as I'm explaining this, I'm salivating because I'm, I can't help but taste it in my mouth. I can taste the bitter notes coming through and then right, then we'll add a bit of the aromatic pungent. We'll get a bit, maybe a sprinkle of this and a bit of that. And I think when you relate it to cooking, again, it's such an ancient thing that we have to do to survive it makes it a lot more real and a lot easier to visualize doing and working with in your daily life as opposed to maybe all the the quite aspirate they can look quite aspirational i mean i've got them of course but you know aspirational amber glass bottles all lined up and they're all labeled and they you know and you've got your diagrams of herbs on the walls and the, i mean if that makes you happy and brings you joy and that's how you want to create your space go for it but you don't need to do all that you can just you can just have a couple of herbs and think about what taste you need or that person needs right now and put them together Hmm. So, um, you had mentioned in, in, uh, things you wanted to talk about today about, uh, decoding main messages and three key tastes to tell our bodies. I, th I know we've definitely covered that, but I was wondering if you could kind of boil it down maybe to specific, um, the three key tastes and maybe the three main messages that they tell us just. Sure. So I'll, um, I usually teach seven tastes, but I know that's a lot to digest, pun completely intended. <laughs> um, so with, I guess with the ones we've mentioned, so the bitter taste, that uh, gets the bile going in the liver. The liver is there for digestion. It's digesting food, so it's getting nutrients, sending them around the body where they need to go and any of the the waste materials that the body doesn't need to hold on to, it's processing those through. It's also digesting hormones. So it's a great taste. The bitter taste is a great one to work with if um, you've got stagnant, painful periods or um, say if you're you're on the the journey through perimenopause and into menopause, the the um, 
there's a, a, a new, the body's recalibrating what that balance of hormones in your body at sort of, you know, resting state is going to be. So the liver needs support being able to process that. Um, it's also processing anger. Uh, liver, you know, being commonly associated with anger. So it's interesting to teach workshops and watch people taste a bitter herb. And then I'll mention that and they'll say, you know, I was actually sitting here feeling a little bit riled up. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I wasn't quite sure where that came from. So bitter herb, digesting, um, supporting the liver. The aromatic pungent herbs, those usually are the culinary herbs and spices. They're the antis I mentioned, antimicrobial. Um, so brilliant to include when you see that something's going round or something's in the house. The salty herbs, that grassy, green, spinachy taste, those are letting your body know you've got loads of minerals coming in, lots of nourishment, also that we're going to be cleansing through anything the body doesn't need to continue to hold on to. Uh, they often get called diuretics. Uh, there, we've mentioned the sweet taste. That's really nourishing and building. So when are the times of life for the sweet taste, for those root herbs? Think about pregnancy. We're nourishing, we're building, we're growing. We need more energy, more strength. Postpartum, <laughs> carry on with those sweet herbs because you need even more strength then. Um, convalescing, you know, which is very much a lost art, that time of recovery after an illness before jumping back into the world. Um, or, you know, similarly, if somebody um, has been working through an illness for quite a long time and they've got really depleted and weakened by it, they need that building up. So that's where you hear uh, astragalus get mentioned quite often. When somebody's out of that uh, acute state, um, which other ones have we mentioned? Oh, we've mentioned sour, of course. So you said the vitamin C, yes, so the flavonoids. So we're really rich in um, those. Uh, they often get called antioxidants. So really helping the blood wake up and stay fresh and move through the body and make sure that that nourishment is moving around because things are traveling through the bloodstream and if the blood is stagnant then nothing's getting where it needs to go and in parallel to that the circulatory system massages the lymphatic system because it doesn't sort of move on its own so with stagnation in the circulation you then get stagnation in the lymph and then you've got lots of stagnation in the body. So sour herbs helping to weave things through those berries. Um, think of like hawthorn berry, for example. And then you've got mucilaginous, which is um, not so much a specific taste as a texture. It's that gloopy, slimy. So people, you know, if you, if you soak chia seeds or flax seeds, linseeds overnight, and you, you see that slime that comes through, that's mucilaginous. Um, and that taste texture, if you will, tells the body that we're getting protection we're getting coating, we're getting soothing, we're getting cooling. So things like marshmallow root, um, 
slippery elm, which we don't use as frequently now for sustainability reasons, um, but gives that beautiful, soft coating and protecting. So when your body is saying, whether it's, you know, a, a, an external injury or if you've got um, tearing and, and redness and, and sort of burning, like leaky gut, the gut lining, those mucous membranes of the body, when your guts, your body's red and angry and going, ah, this hurts, make it stop, something come and soothe it. That's when you get those mucilaginous herbs in there, just like cool it down, calm it down. And Marshmallow is just so chill anyway. She's like, okay, I've got this. We're just, let's all just calm down. I've got my slimy blanket. <laughs> I'm just going to wrap all this up in and we will be fine. Um, and then you've got the astringent taste is the last one, which again is less of a taste than a, a, a mouth feel, an effect in the mouth. So it's that that drying, tightening sensation. And that's when you are, um, you've got sort of the body is over relaxed and you're losing moisture, you're losing tone. Things are just feeling like they lack structure and they need that scaffolding, that tightening up to make sure that we're not leaking out the fluids that we need to keep in and also that we're not leaking out things that need to be need to stay in one part of the body and not go to the next so leaky gut for example you know you've got holes in the gut lining and things that the gut is trying to process are then seeping out and getting into the bloodstream and then dispersing around the body which is where we've then got issues so tightening up those pores Tight, getting things nice and strong and in the context of leaky gut, something like that, then with a mucilaginous herb to give that cooling and coating. And then we want to mend, mend and then protect the, the gut microbiome. So this, I think I've gone through all seven actually. Yes. So the seven tastes, what they tell your body they're going to do. And then the flip side, uh, the messages that your body gives you saying, Hello, could you use a bit of help with this, please? You know, the those stagnant, painful periods or the, um, the backed up bowels, the body saying, could I have some bitter herbs, please? That'd be really great. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm. And then the world is your oyster in the realm of bitters, or you can really kind of, mm. um, you know, one, either work with herbs that are bitter that are right outside your door bioregionally mm -hmm. um, or you, what are available to you or that you could like really kind of learn a handful of bitter herbs and then really kind of zero in on which one might have other benefits that would help you specifically as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I love how you really tie um, not only the tastes together with herbalism, but also the seasons and it sounds like you have um, a course that you teach that's based on the seasons or seasonal herbalism. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So it's <clears throat> it's called uh, Awaken Herbal Wisdom, and I teach that here in Yorkshire in the UK. So <clears throat> that's uh, across the four seasons. It's not quite a full calendar year, but 
we get we're through we're through um, together for quite a long time, and it's quite a it's quite a deep journey. We work with just twelve plants for the whole year, and in the first year, we work through the core messages that our bodies send us, and we pick them apart both physiologically. So we look at the pathogenesis, uh, but we also get into picking apart society's messages around them. You know, we start with fever, and I talk about fever as um, breaking through society's fear of the body's natural processes, because I think that's one of the most fundamental things. And once you're we, of course, cover safety with everything. But once you're not afraid of fevers anymore, mm, <laughs> yeah, cannot be stopped. Trust, yes, learning to trust the body and the body's mm -hmm. ability to, like, kind of know what to do. And I think that that also really falls in line with birthing. Like, right now, there's mm -hmm. so, especially in the States right now, so much issue around um, mother's rights and pregnancy and birthing and lack, you know, lack of birthing centers and high death rates in birthing. And it's, you know, really just learning to trust the body to know that it knows what it's doing ultimately to have obviously mm -hmm. safe safety there, but not to feel like we have to interfere with everything or what the body is doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could have a whole other conversation on that. <laughs> We don't have to go. Don't have to, that's another podcast episode. <laughs> that's another podcast episode, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the, that course is really for anybody who, you know, they really want to get herbalism into their bones and feel confident working with it in their daily lives. So I have students who are completely new but really keen. I've got others who are on clinical qualification courses and want to get more into that that hands-on that sensory that getting it tangible aspect um and that that course opens for enrollment to the waiting list every september um and i do still have uh, a cohort enrolling currently and then they'll begin in april so i can share the link for that uh for the co course um for the course notes for the the show notes or um, people can just DM me the word access on Instagram at Roads, Roots and Remedies, and I'll send that on. Um, obviously, not everybody's in the UK or can get to the UK because it's a blended in-person and an online course. Um, but people who want to get tasting their herbs, uh, I have made available for anybody listening to the podcast that first lesson on that first taste um so people can um again I'll, I'll share the link and people can watch that first lesson it's an hour long for free awesome. and download the course book pages that go with it and taste taste along with us get to understand in more depth that taste what it's doing in the body the messages that the body's sending asking for support with that taste um I do really feel like there's so many aspects to herbal medicine, but if I can just find a way to make it easy for people to get 
their foot in the door to get started, to, to get past the, what can often be the overwhelm of, you know, the million and one inspiring, gorgeous things that are wonderful that we see into how can I just, just get started? Start with taste, start with taste, make one herb into one cup of tea and just drink it all week and make your notes how does it make you feel? Where is it going in the body? What taste do you pick up on? Get to know that one plant, get to know that one taste, and then look at another one. Mm. I think it's a really nice way to do it and a lot less stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And are there other ways that folks could work with you? Are you you do one-on-one consultations? And- I do. I do a few. Yeah, I most of my time is taken up by teaching, actually. Um, so I have a very, very limited availability for one-to-one clients, but I do take a few so people can just send an inquiry if that's something they're they're interested in. Um, and uh, I teach the the main year-long course as well as other workshops that pop up through the year. Um, and you'll find a few other offerings as they they come up on my website, roadsrootsandremedies.co.uk. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one final question for mm-hmm. you. And I notice on the bookshelf behind you, Miss Rumphius. I just noticed yes. that. <laughs> Which is, uh, I'm pretty sure that takes place in Maine or is a Maine author, mm-hmm. which is where I'm based out of. And so I'm just wondering, um, you know, it's highlighted on your bookshelf and I'm just wondering what your connection is with that story or if there's a, a lesson in that story that you'd like to share. Uh, do you know, I I came across that book I think someone shared it online and I saw it and I think this was even before I had my daughter and I thought that's a really lovely story so I got it and I think I meant for it to be a book for her and it's ended up living in my office not that she isn't constantly in here picking up my my books which is great I always encourage that and I'm also like careful with mommy's books um (laughs) but I I love the story of a woman who is, she's quite courageous, but I don't think we should have to be courageous. I think that says more about society than, than what we need to be embodying as individuals. But a woman who knows that she wants to forge her own path that she wants to do things differently she's connected with nature she I mean in the book she goes and travels all over which I did a lot of in my pre-motherhood days (laughs) um she travels all over and she she spreads these beautiful flower seeds and I think if each of us has something it doesn't have to be some you know massive magnum opus it can just be you know a beautiful little flower something to to spread to make other people's lives or at least the environment we live in a bit better a bit nicer a bit more enjoyable to be in 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 the current context of just so much 
takes a lot of effort to be joyful these days, I think, for a lot of people. So to have something to just spread a bit of joy is a nice gift to give everyone, yourself included, whatever mm -hmm. that that is. Well, and I, I can tell that you are doing that by spreading herbalism and your teachings. And I really want to thank you so much for reaching out and being here on the pod. And it's been a real joy to connect with you and to hear your experiences and to share share in your wisdom. So thank you so much, Megan Rhodes, for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And for listeners, you can find out more about Megan Rhodes on Rhodes Roots and Remedies co.uk I'm Bridget Doherty here with Megan Rhodes until next time be well let intuition guide you and have fun with herbs listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.